Amen? Amen. Aren't, you, aren't you glad we live in a point in time in history where we get to appreciate and enjoy the dispensation of grace? Yes. Isn't that wonderful that we get to experience that, that we get to walk in a time where God's grace has been provided for you and for me? Now look, I, the only way you couldn't have said amen there is if you have not been touched and ministered to by the grace of God. Because, I mean, God's grace should cause us to jump for joy and to praise him in each and every moment that it's brought up. Amen. I mean, it's an easy way, as a minister, easy way to get you saying amen. <laughs> Trying to get you primed here. I want some amens. Amen. Yeah, because I need to start off with this. Uh, I, you know, one thing, and you guys, you guys also have to understand this. Here at the church, you know, we have, we have, we have cameras. All right, we do. Right up there, above those lights right up there, there's two little cameras, and we, they, they even have sound. It's part of the security system that we have here. So that one of the things about this, and I told you earlier that I, I do this, um, when I'm not here, I go, I go on there or I go online. The, the service was really, really spotty, so it was like in and out and in and out. But I, could, I, could, I don't know why, I could hear and watch on the uh, camera, the security system camera. Yeah. So, I heard you. Yeah, when Trevor announced that he was preaching and it wasn't going to be out of the Gospel of Luke, you all giggled and smirked and, all, and got all giddy. <laughs> And you know what? It made me, you, you brought doubt to my mind. You did. It's like I thought I found myself going, well, they don't like Luke anymore. They don't like Luke. I, and, I, and, I, and so again, I was, this was a time of prayer and a time of, of you know, hearing from God. And so I, I was like, okay, God, what, what in the world am I supposed to do? God, where should I go? And God said, I already told you. Are you going to do what they want or what I said? So open up to Luke chapter 6. Uh, you can go, listen, you, you can open up in your uh, Bible, open up on the app. On the app, there's some notes to follow along with, and I'll, I, uh, I put them there for you. You'll be able to follow along on the screen here. One of the things that we have got to understand as we go through this, and I know that we're going through it really slow, but the truth is, is that, you know, Luke is encompassing so much of all of the scriptures. It's like he's pulling in all of these things from all of these different places. And in the gospel, and isn't it amazing how God does this, how God can take one gospel writer, Luke, this investigation of Jesus, and can use it to pull in all of the scripture to what it is that God is saying through this one gospel? 
And God has given us the gospel. And these gospels are not random. As I was reading through this again while I was gone, the gospels are not random. It's not like God just threw a bunch of circumstances down on the ground and said, okay, however it falls, that's what I'm going to use. He could have, but he didn't. Our God is a God of purpose. Your life isn't a random deal. Your life is a life of purpose. He didn't just want throw you down and let you splat. He, no, 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 I'm bringing purpose and forming everything together for my good will and purpose. And in the Gospels, the Gospels are put together in a, it, isn't it amazing? He took the Gospels, there's four Gospels, he took the Gospels and systematically brought us systematically an understanding of the Gospel. And the gospel is what you and I are called to proclaim. And if you don't know what the gospel is, then you won't know what you're proclaiming. That's what we're called to preach. You're called to preach the gospel. Now again, I've, we've said this, we've heard this, where, you know what, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Listen, you can only preach with words. We live the gospel, but we preach the gospel with the words of our mouth. And we declare the gospel. But if I asked most of you, again, I, probably 80% of you would all have a different thought if I asked you, what's the gospel? I know there's a bunch of you that are looking down and looking away because you don't want to get eye contact because I might ask you, what's the gospel to you? <laughs> we need to understand the gospel. And the only way that we'll do that is by understanding what God gave us as a systematic understanding and explanation of what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ. In the very basic necessity, it is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus born of a virgin. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus went unto the grave, but the grave couldn't hold him. And three days later, he arose, he revealed himself to men, and went to the Father so he could send the Holy Spirit as a sign and seal of our salvation. And, he, and he's explaining all of this in what is the gospel. And I, I don't want to skip it. I want us to fully understand it. So in Luke chapter 6, in the first 11 verses, we are going to look at something that, and again, we'll, we'll explain it here in a minute. Let's go through this. In verse 1, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, so Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain. So they reached over and they were, they were walking through and they were hungry and so they grabbed some of the grains and, and they started to rub them together in their hands so they plucked them and they ate the grains rubbing them in their hands you know separating the wheat and the chaff and they were separating those things and some of the Pharisees said what were the Pharisees doing in the grain field we'll talk about that not necessarily today but we will talk about that in some coming weeks here but some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So they're arguing with Jesus about the Sabbath on the Sabbath. It doesn't make sense when we read it here, does it? But how often do we do the same thing? Verse 3. 
And Jesus answered them. I just love the way Jesus comes back. And, and honestly, Jesus is asked stupid questions, and Jesus comes back with the most rational answers. He takes them back to the truth. He always brings us back to the truth. Jesus over and over again brings us back to the truth, back to the truth, back to the truth. And he brings them back to the truth. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence. I'll I'll share with you about the bread of the presence as we go on. But this was a holy, sanctified, set-apart loaf of bread. This was something, this wasn't just any loaf of bread. This were our loaves of bread. There were actually 12 of them. And they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, I love this. Jesus says to him on the Sabbath, as they argue about the Sabbath, the Son of Man is Lord. He's calling himself God. We've talked about that. That description, the Son of Man, comes out of Daniel. This is a description of God. All right? I know there's people, all you know, Son of Man. This is a description out of Daniel. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, you'll see that this is used as a description of the one who was with him before the beginnings of time, and who will be with him till the end of time, before, after time is done, and he is the Son of Man. He's calling himself God, and he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And on another Sabbath... He entered the synagogue. This time he's teaching with a man who was there whose right hand was withered. Now, again, I, I wonder if uh, that, I wonder who invited this guy. I wonder if the Pharisees had invited him. I wonder if they had brought this guy in. Isn't that funny how, how on the Sabbath in the synagogue, the people wanted to try to trick Jesus? catch him. We know at least, even if, even if this man just wandered in, they were trying to do whatever they could to catch him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious hierarchy, they watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Oh, how dare God heal on God's day? <laughs> so they might find a reason to accuse him, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man that was with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus, he said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And he looked around at them. And I think Jesus looked around in that crowd that day. And I think he took enough time to make sure he got eye contact with every single person there. Oh, I'm sure there was a lot of squirming and uncomfortableness there. Just like for some of you, you know, when I get eye contact, I can watch you, I see you, I get eye contact with you and you go. (laughs) He's going to talk about me. He's going to say something about me. So they're, they're, he stops and he gets eye contact with all of them. And, and after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Come on, praise God. Come on, wouldn't we be shouting and dancing? And thank God for what he's done. Man, verse 11. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. I also wonder, 
How many of us contemplate, what should I do to Jesus when Jesus doesn't do what I think he should do and he does something that I didn't think he should do? I'm going to send him out back. I'm going to put him in the doghouse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick him out of the living room. I'm going to curse him. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. That your word is life. It is light. It is, Father God, to light our path. It is to reveal who you are. And I pray today that you would do that, Lord. I pray, God, help us, help me to rightly divide the word. And Lord, if there's anything that comes from my mouth that is not from you, I pray that it fall to the ground and have no effect on anybody in their body, their soul, or their spirit. I pray, Lord God, that you would protect each one from anything that wasn't of you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to rightly hear, to rightly receive, and to rightly define the word of God in our hearts and to receive what you want to do. And help me, Lord God, to, to only say those things that would be from you. God, I thank you for a church who loves you and loves your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you bring us into your will, that we could receive from you today what you have intended in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So what, what I'm going to talk about today, what I want to share with you about today is extremely important. It is important to you individually. This is, this is important to you as a family, in your family. This is important to the way in which you raise your children. This is important in every aspect of our life. And I, I, I was telling the earlier service, I, one of the things I, I love about the, having all of the missionaries in which we support and we are part of their lives, I get letters, I get emails, I get all sorts of correspondence, and I hear about the wonderful things that are going on around the world. There are things that our missionaries are doing where they're raising up through Bible schools and through uh, just uh, internships. They're raising up pastors that are starting churches in little villages that have never had a church. We're seeing churches, Christian churches planted in Muslim communities. We're watching God do amazing things in some of the outreach programs, in some of the urban ministries, in some of the rural ministries. We're watching God and seeing God do some amazing things around the world. And what could ruin all of that? What, and again, the outreach, the, the community aspect of it all, the unity, the growth, the fruit of these overseas missions and and what could honestly what could ruin the fruit in your life in the life of your family in the 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 life of your ministry what could ruin the 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 fruit that would come in the life of your of your life group come on what what could ruin and destroy the church the purpose that we have in this life is this thing called legalism. Legalism, it, it, is, it is a destructive force. It is damaging, it is continual, it is controlling, it is ever-present. If you're reading through, as you are, you should be, reading through the daily dig-in with us, we are going through Galatians. Well, Paul confronts this in Galatians very powerfully and very strongly. He comes against this whole thing of legalism, where legalism was trying to creep back into the church at Galatia because there was those that were there, the Judaizers, that were trying to bring back where this, hey, you know what, grace is not sufficient. 
You need grace plus this. You, you need, you, listen, if you want to be saved, you can't really be saved unless you become a Jew first. <clears throat> and you need to do that. And so Paul confronts this. And here what we see Jesus doing is Jesus confronting this. He's confronting, in Luke chapter 6, what we see is that there is a battle that's going on. There has been a waging of war that's coming against Christ. And Jesus sees it coming. And today the battlefield, and we're going to talk about a lot of different battlefields as we go through Luke. But today the battlefield is on the Sabbath. We read about that. We just mentioned that. It's on the Sabbath. But the real issue is not the Sabbath. The real issue is legalism. It's that place where legalism, legalism. And, and again, Paul came against that. Jesus came against that. The entire gospel stands against that because legalism becomes the enemy of Jesus Christ. It, it tries to confront and confound us when it comes to who Jesus is and what the gospel really means. Legalism is religion. It's religious tradition. It's taking oral tradition and applying it over the biblical written word of God. Yeah. Now, I also I want to say this because we have this tendency to think, ah, religion, ah, religion. Just the word religion is like a four-letter word. You know, uh, religion, don't, you know, I don't want anything to do with religion. Well, listen, not all religion is bad. Okay, it's not. Really, it says in James, the brother of Jesus, James, he said in, in verse 1, in verse 27, he said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father. So there is religion that is undefiled and pure before God. And he said it's this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So are we practicing in our lives good religion, pure religion, or bad religion? Bad religion is, is making rules. It's legalism. It's, it's, it's adding to the word of God. Legalism is living by the letter of the law rather than living by the spirit of the law. Legalism is when we live out of a, a devotion that's greater to the law than it is out of a love for God and a love for people. We're living out of the, the letter rather than the spirit of what God has said. And so therefore, what happens in legalism is people take and they begin to add to the scriptures. And then again, it, it's, we, why do we add to the scriptures? How could somebody do that? Well, because we have become the self-declared authority and therefore we are allowed to do that. And let's face it. God wrote a number of laws. And to be quite honest, I don't like some of them. And others, well, God did not do a very good job of explaining it. You know what? It's kind of unclear. There's a lot of speculation that can be brought to some of these laws. So as the self-proclaimed authority, I feel that I have permission to add to God's law. And so we have permission, and people write books and make rules and have laws about you got to do this, or you got to do that, you got to this and that. And that gets done in a lot of different ways. It gets done by different denominations. 
Different denominations have created rules. They're not biblical rules. They're denominational rules. We see that happen with oral tradition that was passed down from time to time to time. Well, we all know how that can work. You know, you, you've all probably been in a youth group where we, they started the big circle around and somebody whispered a secret on one side and it goes all the way around. By the time it gets to the end, it's not even what it started off as. We got all sorts of traditions like that. And it's done by churches. Churches that separate themselves with no accountability and no place where we, we, we come to this place where, of understanding the freedoms that are with Christ and we just want you to be conformed to our church. Religions do that. Different cults do that. Different places where we make all of these lists and these rules. And all of a sudden, we have the Bible plus. The Bible plus this set of rules. The Bible plus this book. We need the Bible plus this. Why? Well, because we need to finish them. Because the word of God, I mean, let's face it, it needs to be finished. We need to perfect the Bible. And again, now you're seeing why Jesus and why Paul was so adamant about this. No! And I'm not talking about books and rules that help illustrate or inform or teach us about what the Bible says. I'm talking about those places where we add to it. And it's happened historically throughout time. It has happened over and over again. And it is a denial of something. It's called sola scriptura. And sola scriptura means by scripture alone, where scripture is the highest authority. It is by scripture alone. And let me just say, scripture is the highest authority. There is nothing that comes above the word of the living God. There is nothing that stands above scripture. Let me also say, there is nothing that runs parallel with the word of God. God didn't give us his word and then say, oh, I forgot some stuff, so I'm going to give you science over here because it runs parallel with this they don't conform confirm and do no let me tell you everything comes under the authority of scripture every bit of intelligence every bit of science every bit of tradition every bit of technology it all comes under the umbrella and is submitted to the authority of god through the written word of the living god It is sola scriptura. And that is a phrase that was penned and used in the Protestant reformers that were saying that the Bible alone, Scripture alone, is our highest authority. And we are a reformed church because we believe that the Scripture is the highest authority and there is no other authority that goes or that comes close. Nothing else. All other authorities, the Bible, aside from the Bible, every other book, every other teacher, every other religious leader, every other ruler, every other set of rules, every, listen, they are all underneath. There is nothing, church, that is equal to the word of God. Amen. Nothing. But legalists, and none of us want to be legalists, but legalists, tend to elevate a teacher or a prophet 
or a denominational leader or a denominational list or want to elevate a sacred book or an addition to and want to make it equal to Scripture. Okay, Jesus is confronting this right here. No, he's, you know what? You, you, th- this isn't going to work. It's a denial of something called the sufficiency of Scripture, where the Scripture is all-sufficient, and all we need is the Bible. We don't need an additional book. We don't need more additions to it. We don't need more rules. All we need is the Word of God. We don't need more teachers. We don't need rules. We don't need additions. We don't need all these things. You know what? There's a lot of good works and wonderful things. That's what I hope to be doing here, is simply explaining the Bible to you. I don't want to add to it, because when we explain the Bible, Bible, rightly divide the word of God. When we preach the gospel, it is a good thing. That's a, God calls it a good thing. But when we start adding to it, if I start making rules up and saying, you know what, if you want to be a good Christian, you know what, you, you, you have to do this or you have to do that. No, we, we get to freely submit ourselves to what the Word of God has to say. But also, we have to realize that with that comes some decisions and choices that we have to make. In Proverbs chapter 30, in the book of wisdom, this is what the book of wisdom tells us about this whole thing. In verses 5 and 6, it says, Every word of God is flawless. I, like, I love what the ESV says. The ESV in that verse says, every word of God proves true. Do you know that God will make sure that every word he has given us in the Holy Bible will prove true? Amen. Why? Because it's flawless. And then in verse 6 he says, do not add to his word. Okay, He could have left it right there. And we could have had said, okay, you're, you're right. But you know what? If we would have left it right there, it would not have instilled the fear of God in us. And so he said this. He said, do not add to his word or he will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. Oh, so God, God is faithful and he will prove his word true. And if we add to his word, he will prove you to be a liar. Come on, every word of scripture, church, is flawless. It is perfect. There is nothing that needs to be added. And the scripture alone, the Bible is the highest authority. It is full sufficient. Okay, there is nothing else. And listen, don't add to it. Or God will rebuke you. And prove you to be a liar. Now, that word, that that Proverbs was written in Hebrew. And that word for liar in the Hebrew, it has a a very definite definition. And and it means liar. (laughs) If you look it up. It's about deception and and being deceiver. And, And then the exact same definition... It's the exact same definition. You can look it up yourself. But the same exact definition, there is a Hebrew word that has the exact same definition. And what it means in, in, in Greek, what, it, what that de- same definition, in, the definition in Hebrew is the exact same definition for a word in the Greek. 
And that word in the Greek is liar. And it's used in Revelations 21.8. And it says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, as for the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Same definition as the word that was used in Proverbs. And he says this, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, you can choose to figure out what you want to do with that scripture. I say let it bring you into a place where on your knees you contemplate the fear of God. Because God is very serious about this. You know what God, is, I mean, I think in all this, he is, he is instilling the fear of God. He's being very serious about this because God is serious about this. He doesn't need your help with his word. He doesn't. So, again, that being said, I, I, I wanted to start off laying some foundation. And uh, I, I was at the house. I came home, and uh, I, I don't know if it was Lauren or Carly. One of them had, had drawn a picture or filled in, you know, a color by number kind of thing. And it was perfect. It was on the fridge. And then one of the grandkids did the same picture. And, um, and, uh, and it didn't come out the same. I, uh, I, I, and I don't know what happened. I couldn't find the other picture. So I had them draw me a new picture this morning. And um, again, I'll share that with you. But, but, you know, this whole thing about paint by number life. I, so many of us like that idea. Uh, again, the religious, all the legalist people, these, these people that honestly were dangerous to the gospel, that were deadly, these people that were dangerous and, and, and I mean, again, overwhelming in their ability to sway people, damaging in what he was, they were doing to the gospel. Paul, again, Paul confronted it. Read through Galatians. The, the, whole, the whole book is about this place of legalism. And Paul was so serious about it. He said to the people at Galatia, who has bewitched you? Who, who has cast a spell over you? you? You were saved by grace. How can you now fall back into legalism or works or adding to? Listen, grace plus anything does not equal grace. Grace is grace. And the religious people, if you read about them, the religious people were people in authority. They were rulers and leaders. They were bold. They were arrogant. They were charismatic. They knew how, listen, they knew how to preach. Honestly, they knew how to preach eloquently in a better way than what Paul did. I mean, Paul at times to the church at, at Corinth, I mean, almost apologized for how he came across in, in person. These people, these religious leaders were bold and they were pushing people and they were pushing people to obey them rather than God. And the result of religion is that some people feel and then and life with God gets presented as kind of a, a paint-by-numbers kit. You know, but the problem with a paint-by-numbers kit is that it takes no talent, no gifting, 
It takes no heart. It's not art. It's paint by numbers. It doesn't require grace. It doesn't require gifting. All you do, you know what, is just kind of throw it together and do what, it's, do what you're told to do. And there's a lot of people that want that kind of life. It would be a whole lot easier if I could just take the Bible and take my rule book and sit down, put them all together, and then I could just paint by number. How many of you ever done a painting by number before? You just, or colored something that was that way. What's the goal? The goal is that every picture would look exactly the same. Every picture would be exactly the same. So what do you do? You take every number two dot and you fill that in with blue. And you take every number three dot and you fill that in with red. And you take the number four dots and you fill that in with green. And you take the number five dots and you fill that in with yellow. And now what do you have? You have a perfect picture that looks just like the rest. So basically, you have a picture like this. Come on, Spider-Man. And, and it's perfect. I mean, it is perfectly, it is, it is, I mean, this is what you want your picture to look like, right? And so I had Chris this morning back there, and Chris, she, she drew this picture, or colored this picture in for me, and I mean, what a beautiful job. She got everything. There's, I mean, she's inside the lines on everything. She followed my instructions, and she followed these instructions, and therefore, because she followed the instructions perfectly, she got a perfect picture. Amen? Amen. Awesome. I mean, I want, that's what, and the intention is that every picture would look like this, right? Well, I had Lukey draw me a picture. And Lukey's picture came out like this. What are you cheering for? <laughs> Luke may be awesome, but you know what? This is terrible. <laughs> he did it all wrong. I got Lukey's permission to share this with you, by the way, just so you know. Uh, this is terrible. That's not, look at, it's not the right colors. I mean, he missed. Some, in some of the areas, he wasn't even close. It's like, come on, Luke. Look, Luke, you need to go home today. And we're going to get you another picture, and you're going to do this again. And this time, you're going to do it by the rules, because I don't like the way your picture came out looking. It didn't look like this. And this is what the picture is supposed to look like. Come on, Luke. Come on, you know. It's got to look like this. If it's going to be presentable... Hey, Luke, if I'm going to put that on my refrigerator, you got to do some work, buddy. Because you're outside the lines. You're outside the paint-by-number picture rules. And you haven't obeyed them. And you know what? Painting outside the rules, outside the lines, is a violation of the rules. And therefore, you're going to do it again until you get it right. Because that's all that matters. 
It doesn't matter about the heart of the little boy. It doesn't matter whether I'm hurting his feelings or not. It doesn't matter what he thinks. He needs to comply himself and make himself do it right. Because we live by a paint-by-number life. And that's what's there. And Luke, the goal is not this. The goal is only this. Because this is the only painting that's acceptable. You know, there's a lot of people that would prefer a paint-by-number relationship with God. God, this is all I care about. I just want my religion to look like this. But you know what? Behind this, Chris didn't do this because she wanted to. She did this because she had to. I made her. I did. She even complained while she did it. She said, first thing in the morning, you're trying to get me to stay inside the lines? She whined about it. There was, she didn't, li listen, she put absolutely no heart into this. She didn't. She didn't, she didn't care. There was no art to this. There was no, Chris could not draw this on her own because there's no inspiration. There was no care. There was no talent. There was no giftings. There, there was, all that mattered was that she made the picture look like this. This little guy, do you know why Luke did this? Because Papa asked him. Because Papa wanted him to. And Luke did this picture. And behind this picture was a little boy whose heart was for his papa. Did he do it exactly right? Absolutely not. But let me ask you this. What was the heart of the little boy behind it? And church, why do we want to submit ourselves to a life like this. When God says, I love a life like this. It's not about all the getting, this, this requires no passion, no love, no heart, no discernment. It requires no change, no transformation, no, no Holy Spirit work in our life. There's no effort. There's no grace to this. This can be done simply out of obligation. It's just paint by numbers. Eat this, do this, pray this, say this, tithe this, go here, do this. Then you can have a picture like this. And behind it, and I'm not saying this about Chris, but behind it, is a heart that's passionless and doesn't really care and doesn't have a relationship because the relationship is null and void. All I needed to do was make it look like this. God wants more. God wants more. God says, come to me just as you are. And I will take the scribbled mess. I will take what it is you bring. And what I care about is a heart that's been touched by the grace of the living God. I just want you to receive the gift and that heart. I don't, the outside, I can deal with all that. I don't care about all that. God's like, I need your heart. 
you know what? Again, I don't care what, what behind all that. This is not important to me. This is important to me because behind it is a little boy who loves his papa and wants to please his papa and wants to serve his papa and wants to do what his papa asks and what his papa wants and needs him to do. There's a little boy who's absolutely head over heels in love with his papa and you know what? His papa is head over heels in love with him. Even though he's outside the lines. Know what papa's gonna do? Papa's going to sit down with him and Papa's going to tell him how much he loves his picture. And Papa's just going to keep walking through life, painting pictures with him, just letting him be artistic and letting the Holy Spirit minister to his life, letting the Holy Spirit draw in his life what he wants to draw into his life, letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit can do in this little boy. And Papa's going to cheer him along as we go. Papa's after his heart, not after his picture. God's after your heart. Not your picture. You see, church, when we try to make this happen, we fall into legalism. When we just by grace say, okay, God, here's my broken mess, God presents us with the grace that comes into our heart because He loves us, not our painting. Amen? God doesn't want, God doesn't want this. He's not looking for that. He's looking for this. Because what God wants, and I'm going to read this because I wrote this out. He wants a living, active, vibrant, intimate, prayerful, discerning, spirit-filled, spirit-led, living, loving, life-giving relationship with you. That's what he longs for. And religion and legalism and, and the, all the, the, it's the enemy of that living, loving, life-giving relationship with God. So, so this is what he's fighting against. And all of this is happening, again, on the Sabbath. Now, church, the Sabbath, and I'm not going to go into the depths of Sabbath, so please, I, I, I understand. Um, I'm giving you an overview, and I understand that. You know what? Dig deeper into it all. And watch what God has to say. But on the, top, on, the, on the surface of what it is that God wants, ultimately, God wants the Sabbath to be enjoyed. The Sabbath is a gift. Come on, amen? It's a gift he wants us to enjoy. And as we look at this today, these religious legalists are showing up, and it's amazing on the, the, that they're spending their day, the Sabbath, arguing with Jesus. They're arguing with God on the Sabbath. And so this battlefield has been opened up and they're fighting on the Sabbath, but he's really confronting the real issue, which is legalism. And there's going to be a lot of different battlefields and a lot of different places that Jesus will battle against legalism. Today, it just happens to be on the Sabbath. And Luke gives us right in a row here two occasions where Jesus is having conflict on the Sabbath with the religious legalists. So let me just tell you a little bit about the Sabbath. As I said, I'm not going to go into a deep uh, discourse on the Sabbath. I just want to give a, you a cursory view of that. Now, the Sabbath is something, it is created by God. Okay, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
And then God, in Exodus chapter, um, in chapter 20, the very next book of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, God, in, in, chapter, in verses 8 through 11, he gives us what is basically the fourth commandment. And in that fourth commandment, he tells us, again, basically, he says, hey, I worked for six days, and on the seventh day, I rested. And I want you to work for six days, and on the seventh day, to take a day off. Come on, the Sabbath is, sometimes we look at the Sabbath and we get all twisted up. This is good news. How many of you would be upset with your boss if your boss came to you and said, hey, you've been working a lot. Take a day off. No, go take a day off. In fact, I'm going to make a rule. You got to take a day off. How many of you would be going, oh, why are you making things so hard on me? I mean, take the Sabbath for what it is. It is a gift. It is a gift that God has given, and God wants us to enjoy it. The Sabbath, it is a good thing. Come on, amen? A day of rest, it is a good thing. It should be enjoyed. But the religious people take it, and they make it into a bad thing. And I find it amazing how the religious people can take good things and turn them into bad things by putting in senseless rules that were not originally included in the scriptures. And so it makes it and takes all the fun out of it. Kind of hard to enjoy with all the senseless rules. It's kind of like, it would be kind of like giving, making birthday cake rules, right? I mean, how many of you know that birthday cakes don't take any rules, you don't have to have rules. Birthday cake, listen, birthday cake at the very least is fantastic all on its own. Come on, it doesn't need any help. Birthday cakes don't need any rules. You don't need to explain it. I don't need a list of rules. My one-year-old didn't need a list of rules to figure out what a birthday cake takes. You don't need rules. All you need is a fork. Right. Right. If that, that's optional. I mean, birthday cake, and, and again, birthday cake, I'm using that because that's like one of the most fun things you can think of, is a birthday cake. You know what a birthday cake requires? A birthday cake. That's all. In itself. It's just in itself is good news. It's great. It's wonderful. And it's fun. You give somebody a cake. You put a, you put a birthday cake down in front of a one-year-old. They have never had a birthday cake before. It's their first birthday. You put a birthday cake down in front of them, and do you need to explain to them what to do? What do they do? They eat it. Yeah. They figure out a way how to get it from here to here. Right? They, they just figure it out. It doesn't take rules to figure the whole thing out. You want to ruin a birthday cake? Go to the kid and say, okay, you know what? We're going to give you birthday cake, but we're going we're gonna, to, and we got to add a few rules to it. You know what? We're going to give you your birthday cake, but we're not going to give you the chocolate cake that you wanted. Okay? We can't do that. We're going to give you a vanilla cake because, again, chocolate cake is not in our rules. Chocolate cake is not allowed. And, we, and sprinkles? Forget that. Sprinkles are from hell. So you were not putting any sprinkles on your birthday cake. That's not going to, not allowed. 
And so you're, you're going to have to eat your vanilla birthday cake. But listen, you can't eat it anytime. You have to eat your vanilla birthday cake only on a Tuesday. You can only eat it on Tuesdays. And then you can't eat it on Wednesday. You can't eat it on Monday. It's only on a Tuesday. And you have to eat it on Tuesday between 2 o'clock and 2.30. Those are the only allowed times that you can eat your birthday cake. Okay, not before, not after. You have to stop. I mean, that's it. And listen, because your right hand is the the hand of righteousness, you can only eat your birthday cake with the left hand. Okay, and and you know what? You can only eat your birthday cake with a spoon. You can't use a fork. The devil used a fork. (laughs) So we're not going to use forks. And if your spoon happens to fall to the ground, there's no 10-second rule. No, it hits the ground, it's defiled. You cannot pick that spoon up again, and you can't use that. And because your hand is unclean, if you touch the cake with your hand, you'll make that cake unclean, and therefore, no longer, we will have to cast it outside the front door. But son, enjoy your cake. At that point... Eating birthday cake sounds a lot like going to the dentist, right? I mean, it's something that I have to do. It's not something that I get to do. You know what? Birthday cake was awesome when you just left it alone, when you let it be what the giver of the birthday cake intended for that birthday cake to be. It was great on its own, but you ruined it. And that's what religious people do with all of these wonderful good things that God has given. And Sabbath is exactly the same thing. God has given us the Sabbath. God said here, hey, take a day off. I want you to take a day, and I want you to rest. And you'd think that people would be like, well, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for a day off. And then the religious people came along, and they said, oh, oh, listen, I know there's some rules, that, but we need to put together a rule book for the Sabbath. Really? Why do I need a rule book for the Sabbath? I mean, this is a good thing. Why do I need a rule book for a day off? Well, because you need to know how to conduct yourself. You need to memorize these rules, and you need to apply these rules and obey these rules. And if you don't, then I'm going to discipline you and will disobey you because you are drawing outside of our lines. It's unacceptable. You can't do that. When the whole point of it was we were supposed to take a day off. And now you've taken this, this day off and you, you've turned it into a whole bunch of work. You've now actually added on my day off a to-do list. I know. I love it. When on my day off, Joni makes a to-do list for me. <laughs> Come on. This is my this is a day off. Not a to-do list day. Come on. (laughs) I mean, isn't it amazing? I mean, now I've got these things I have to do. You know what? I was going to take a nap. Now I got all these nap rules I have to find out. If I'm obeying the right rules, am I napping at the right time? I got to figure all this out so that I don't break my nap rules because I don't want to paint outside the lines. So I have to figure this out. Look, the Sabbath, listen, in a general way, the Sabbath is a good thing. 
It's a good thing for us to take a day off. It's, it's a good thing for us to rest. Come on, amen? God wants us to rest. It's a good thing for the Sabbath, for you and I to enjoy God on our Sabbath, to enjoy some time in worship of God, some time coming to Him. It is a gift for you and for me to enjoy the church, to enjoy your life group, to enjoy your community, to enjoy your neighbors, to enjoy your family, to enjoy your children, to enjoy those things that are around you that God has put into your life to enjoy. God wants us to rest. It's a gift from him. It's a gift so that people, so that, that slaves, so that the poor, so that the lamb, the animal would all have a day of rest. And it's a day of worship for you and I. It's a time that we would enter into God's divine rest. That we could come into God's rest on this day of Sabbath so that in our body, in our soul, and in our spirit, God could renew us and replenish us. Okay, but religious people, they want to add to what God says about the Sabbath. And so, on top of what God says, they want to add all the extra rules. So, let me also say, on the Sabbath, Sabbath, we know, you know, in the Old Testament that the Sabbath was on Saturday. And then Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. We're all aware of that. So the Sabbath on Saturday, then Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday, and the church started worshiping um, on Sunday on what the scripture then called the Lord's Day, the day of his resurrection, which was on Sunday. And, and in reading about that, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, Constantine got saved. He got, he got radically saved, started learning the word of God, started reading, and he read about this, the Lord's Day. And so Constantine, the ruler, the emperor, he decided uh, that we're going to take and make the Sabbath on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And so the Christians begun to worship on Sunday as the Sabbath, and the Jews were still worshiping on Saturday as the Sabbath. Well, America comes along, and America is trying to decide, well, what do we do? Do we, do we celebrate the Sabbath on the Saturday with the Jewish Sabbath, or do we celebrate the Christian Sabbath on Sunday? Well, we're Americans. Let's do both. And so we call it the weekend. This is my, the point is this, and Paul says this. Paul says, listen, it, don't, let, don't let people judge what day. Paul talks about that. The principle, though, is this. Get a day off and rest. Rest from your labors. Go to church. Spend that day in worship. Spend that day enjoying God, enjoying the presence of God in your church, in your church family, in your home, with your children. Enjoying God. Enjoying a hobby. Enjoying the wonderful things that God has blessed us with. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your children, your family, your neighbors. Practice hospitality. Come together in your community. And you know what? Take a guilt-free nap. Come on, amen? Because, listen, we've got to understand, because while you're napping and taking a day to rest, the sovereign God can keep things in control. Okay? He's able and willing and will do that. It's a wonderful principle. But again, religious people want to take a whole bunch of rules and God never put into the Bible things that were not in the scriptures. 
And I will tell you this up front. We love the Bible. We don't love the additional rules that get added to the word of God. We believe everything that the Bible has to say. And, and again, if you come here today with a bunch of additional rules and additional rules that you think the church should this and you should that, let me just ask you, please, lay down your rules. Yeah. We're struggling with just trying to be biblical. <laughs> I, I, just want, I just want what the word of God has to say. Amen. Not things that are added to it or things of that sort. Put them away. Just enjoy the Lord. Worship team, would you come back up? Listen, I think that the biblical principle that has taken the, the hardest religious, legalist, traditionalist beating, the, hard, the, the principle that's taken the worst beating is this principle of salvation. I want to end with this. We have this place where it's in salvation. It's like that place where earning or am I deserving enough versus grace. Have I worked hard enough? Have I done enough good? Is my picture close enough to this? Oh God, I hope my picture's close enough. Have I done a good enough job, God? Did I stay in the lines enough? Did I do a good enough job? Did I do good enough work? Versus, is he good enough? Is grace sufficient? Church, if you could possibly earn, if you could possibly become deserving of salvation, then there was no reason for Jesus Christ to come into the world. There was no reason for him to come on a rescue mission to save us. We could have done it ourselves. We could have just done it ourselves. But let me tell you, the law, the word of God, in the Old Testament wasn't there to provide a way of salvation. It was there to provide the fact and the knowledge that there's no way you could do this on your own. It shows us the impossibilities of trying to save ourselves because we are sinners. We are born into this world as sinners. We are born of the seed of a woman or of man and therefore we are born into this world with the nature of sin. From the point of Adam on, every single soul that's been born into this world was born spiritually dead as a sinner and separated but from God because of that nature of sin. And because of the nature of sin, we are also sinners by choice because there's not one of us in here that has not sinned by choice not one of us church we are sinners that need saving because that sin has separated us from God that sin has created a chasm a barrier that no mortal man can cross a barrier that no mortal man can make it past and we've tried and tried and tried and God gave us the law to show us that we could never live up to those expectations to cross over from here to there. That's why, and again, that's why God did not come to this earth, uh, I mean, uh, did not come into a man it wasn't man who became God, it was God who became man. It was God who came from there to here, born of the seed of God. He was born of a virgin. Not the seed of man. So he wasn't born with a sin nature. And, and he also lived in this world and never sinned by choice either. He lived a perfect life. God
God had to become a man because there was no way for man to get to God. So God had to come to man. And he came into this world because he knew it was the only way he could save us. Because without him, we were lost sheep. We were bound and destined for an eternity in a place called hell. Separated from God for all of eternity. And God knew we had to be saved. And therefore, because he knew we had to be saved, because without being saved, we had no hope. And the only way that we could be saved was if God sent a Savior to come and save us. That's why Jesus came to get us. Because that was the only way he could save us. Church, we need a Savior. Because no man knows the way into the Father except for Jesus. And Jesus came into this world. He came into this dark pig pen of a world filled with sin and iniquity. And he came into this place to be a light that would go out and find you and draw you to himself so that he could save you and show you the way back home. Because he's the only one that knows the way to the Father. He is, in fact, the Bible says, the way. Because you and I are born into spiritual darkness. And Jesus Christ came into this life to make us spiritually alive. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, you must be. He didn't say you should be. He said, you must be born again. Because without being born again, you have no hope of eternal life. You must be born again. And when we become born again, God, Jesus Christ went unto the Father and he came back. He sent the Holy Spirit. And he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and to mark us, to seal us. And when the Holy Spirit, when God the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He comes and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He comes into our life and the Holy Spirit, God, listen, you can't be filled with God and not see God bring some transformation to your life. But it's not because He makes you. It's because your desires change. I don't have to obey the Father. I get to. I want to. The desire of my life is to be transformed. I want to look more like my Jesus, my Savior, the one who came into this world to give me hope, the one who came into this broken life to bring life to where I was dead, to come and to give me the opportunity to be saved. And the Holy Spirit starts to produce this, starts to produce fruit. But it's the fruit of the Spirit that He starts to generate in our life. He starts to produce in our life. And that fruit becomes a witness to the saving grace in our life. So is there evidence of salvation in your life? Is there evidence by the fruit of the Spirit? It's not making you change. He's giving you this will to change. God comes in and He loves us just as we are. Just as we are. He accepts us just as we are. Sometimes we think that we got to get everything together first. We got we to get our picture looking like this before I can come to Him. But He says, come just as you are. And He'll begin to bring the transformation. He'll begin to help you. He'll begin to encourage you. But you know what? You'll begin to draw out of the gifts that He produces in you. picture transforms 
Because God starts to draw and use us and to minister to us and to transform us. Listen, he produces this evidence of salvation, not because we're just trying to draw within the lines, but because we have a heart after God. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Let me just tell you, when God comes to live and dwell in you, you will know it. Okay, listen, he won't keep it a secret from you. He won't. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is grace through faith. It is what you believe. I choose, Lord God, to believe you above everything else. You are now, Lord God, my highest authority, and I receive you into my life. This not of your own doing. And listen, it's not that you can produce this. A picture with no heart, no life. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not something that you deserve. So don't muck it all up with all sorts of rules and all sorts of regulations and stipulations that are outside of the Word of God, that are outside of grace. For you have been saved by grace. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. And if I will boast, Paul said, I will boast of my weakness. You see, Paul knew what it was like to look like this. A Pharisee of Pharisees. The religious of all religious. The traditionalists of all traditionists. Paul said, you know what? In that picture there, I will not boast. That picture has no meaning. Let me tell you about this picture. Let me tell you about the heart behind this picture. This is the picture that I want to boast about because this is the picture that's filled with the grace of a loving God who didn't care what was here. He cared what was here. And he came to save me and to take me just as I am. Come on, church. Are you born again? That's a heart after God's. And God has you in his heart. It is not by religion. And it's not by following after traditions. It's not by your name being on a certain list. It's not by you being a member of a certain church. Listen, it's not because you can stay inside the lines. Jesus came for everyone who couldn't stay in the lines. Amen? It is only by grace of a loving, living, almighty God. And he is here today in our midst. And he came. He came all the way from heaven came to earth. He died, was buried, resurrected the gospel, and he went back to heaven, and then he sent the Holy Spirit, who's here today, and he's ministering to each and every one of you, right where you are. And he's here today for this. He wants to rescue you from darkness. He wants to rescue you from eternal separation, from damnation. He wants to, he wants to rescue you and deliver you so that he can lead you home. To bring you to eternal life. Will you pray with me? 
Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that your grace is so sufficient. There is nothing else that's needed in all of my hardships and all of my heartaches and all of my brokenness and failures and faults and flaws and all of the areas where I fall so short, I thank you, God, that by grace I can be saved. That, God, is by your grace that I am accepted. That my Father calls me home. That my Daddy loves me. And I pray, God, that you administer to each and every heart that's here that needs their Daddy today. That needs to be accepted to be able to come just as you are. God, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would minister to each and every one that needs to be drawn to you. Lord, I don't know, but you know who has been born again and who you're calling to be born again today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would draw them to yourself. And is that you today? With every head bowed and every eye closed, listen, just make this personal. Are you born again? Have you received the grace of God? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? The fruit of God, the fruit that He and only He can produce, shining and showing in my life. I'm being transformed, God. I'm not the same man. I'm not the same person. The old is gone. The new has come. Listen, if that's not your expression, then today God wants you to receive him. Oh, he has forgiveness of sin. Restoration. Salvation. For God's grace is here. And we are saved by grace through faith. Is your faith today telling you, I need to respond? If that's you, raise up your hand right where you're at. We want to pray for you. Is there anybody here that says, you know what, I need that? Praise God, I see that hand. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Come on, God wants to, this isn't, this isn't something for me or for you. This is something that's between you and God. Do you need to give him your heart today? Do you need to give him your, your messed up, broken picture Lord, you see the hands and you see the hearts of each and every one that's here. And I thank you, Lord God, for the grace that you have provided to bring salvation to those in need. You have, Lord God, provided forgiveness. You have provided cleansing. You have provided us, Lord God, with everything that we need to follow after you. So, Lord God, I pray for those today that have lifted their hands. I pray, Lord God, that they would call out to you, that they would become not through a patent prayer, but, Lord God, through the receiving of Jesus into my life. And you need to just tell them that. Lord God, I need you. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I thank you that, Jesus Christ, I put my faith in you, that you are the one who came from heaven to earth, and you came to get me. And today's the day, Lord, where we lock arms, where today you come and fill me up. And the day that you come today, Lord, to make me the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I give you my life. I give it all to you, Lord. I know it may not look like much. But God takes broken vessels. And he 
creates masterpieces. I'll tell you what. To me, I'll, pick, I'll take the picture that little Lukey drew me over that perfect picture. Any day, all day, every day. And that's what God the Father is looking for today. I'm going to say this. I, um, I oftentimes have apologized for keeping you late. And I'm sorry about that. I repent of that. Brother Thomas, he asked me, he said, why, why do you apologize for preaching for an hour? When people here walk for hours so that I can preach for hours. It's America, so what? So I'm not gonna say that anymore. I love you. I pray God bless you. If God's doing a work, God, you know what, share it with somebody. Get into a life group and start telling people what God's doing in your life, what God's doing in your heart. Amen? So go be the church. Go be the redeemed. Go be the blood-bought. Go be the spirit-filled. Go be the loved. Go be the church. God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Oh
Surgeon, my soul 